All right, here we go. Week two of our message series, Salt and Light. Second week, last week, let's do it. Who's ready? A couple people, yeah, great. Anybody else, you know? All right, there we go, yeah. Okay, good, yeah, summer's here, right? Yeah, the bolts are still in the Stanley Cup. Barbecue's in the air. Life is good. Jesus is back from the dead. All good things. In a different order of importance, but still like all good stuff. So salt and light. Those are the two uh, word pictures that Jesus uses when he describes and talks about his followers, his disciples. It comes from uh, Jesus's sermon on the Mount. Um, now, uh, we talked about this uh, a little bit last week, so let me just sort of catch you up to speed. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's manifesto. It is the manifesto of King Jesus for what his kingdom is going to look like. This is Jesus's manifesto for the kingdom that he is trying to bring here to earth to reign and rule for all of eternity. I mean, this is the, the shut down the Roman Empire, shut down any earthly power or authority that seeks to stand in the way of this Jesus's manifesto for this new movement that he's creating, that he's about to unleash upon the world, this movement called the church. So salt and light. So here's how he kicks off his manifesto. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter five, verse three, happy are people who are hopeless because theirs is the kingdom, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. So Jesus, get this, calls together a bunch of hopeless, grieving, pure-hearted, humble, righteous, merciful, peacemaking, harassed, and insulted people together. And Jesus says, you are the ones who are going to change the entire world. Which is a pretty tall order, especially given the quality of candidates that Jesus has for this new revolution. But, but probably... A better translation of that word happy, or maybe your Bible say blessed, maybe you're more familiar with that, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed, so on, so on. Perhaps a, a better translation is, is this, is that God is with. God, God is with those who are hopeless. God is with those who are grieving. God is with the humble, with the righteous, with the peacemakers, on and on. 
And so then Jesus, after he gets through this like introduction of inviting everyone in, he goes on to describe how his followers, how his disciples are to live under this new kingdom. How these, how these disciples, these apprentices in the way of Jesus are to live under his lordship in this new kingdom. Here's how people live in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is bringing. But he gives this as, as a standing invitation to all. That no matter where you're from, no matter what you have been through or where you are at, Jesus invites you to come and live under this new rule, this new kingdom. And so he uses two descriptive words to describe these types of people, his followers, his apprentices. He says, you are light and you are salt. Jesus says this in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now we talked about salt last week. We'll come back to it in just a minute. Um, but Jesus says you, you should have all of the properties and all of the functions of salt. Like you should, you should bring flavor to the world. You should preserve the earth. You, you, should, you should fertilize and you should be poured out so heavily on the evil things that seek to stand against God's kingdom that they are just stomped out. You are the salt of the earth. For more details, go and listen to last week's message on what it means to be salt. But for this week, I want us to focus on Jesus's next word picture that he gives to us when he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, salt and light are both agents of influence. You introduce salt into food and it changes the taste of food. You bring light into a dark room and it changes the environment, the atmosphere of that room. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world, but not just any kind of light. He gets a little bit more specific. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. So Jesus is saying here that you should be like lights on a city up on the side of a hill in the middle of the night that shines out into the darkness. Now, now, now imagine his first century followers. They, they got this, the people in the audience, they, they got this. But, but imagine us, right? Back in the first century, long before there were halogen street lamps and, and headlights and reflective paint on the side of roads. It was just you and your camel or donkey out in the middle of a pitch black desert. And you know that there are robbers and thieves and wild animals and you're hungry and you're tired and you're scared and you're nervous and you need safety. And off in the distance, you see a glow and you know what that glow means. It means that there is a city up ahead. You see, cities in, in these days were built mostly out of limestone and they had torches that burned all around the city walls. So the lights from the torches would reflect off of the white limestone, showing forth the beauty of the city onto the darkness of the night. It was built on top of a hill so that all could see. Jesus says, that's the kind of light that you need to be you, you need to be a sign. You, you need to be a, a beacon of safe harbor for, for all. And especially 
especially for those who are hopeless and grieving and righteous and hurting and peacemakers and all the people like you, you need to be safe harbor for them. We, we think that back in Jesus's day, you could see a city for hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Jesus is like, that's what you're supposed to be. That, that's, how, that's how bright you are supposed to shine. That, that's your purpose. So that all who are lost, all, all who are wandering, all who are worn out and worn down and far off, all, all of those who are hurting and hungry, that they would look to you and see a place of safety and refuge for them. So I got to be honest, friends. <laughs> I, I think... I think that today, when, when a lot of people think about the church, when a lot of people think about Christians, they, they don't see us as a place of safety or refuge. I, I think in a lot of ways, we, we have become a far cry from what Jesus has called us to be. But, but we get this. We get what Jesus is talking about. We, we get just this at a, at a base level. Because light is most needed when? When it's most dark out. I mean, you, you turn on a lamp in the middle of the day and it, it's nice. Bring some feng shui to the house or whatever, but it's not doing a whole lot. But man, when you need that lamp on the most is in the middle of the night when you're trying to step over Lego pieces to make your way to the bathroom. Am I right? And so when the world... When the world needs us most is when it is most dark out. That's when we need to be on full strength, turned up to 11 when things are the darkest. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. I love this. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can, may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt, surrounded by them. And, and among these people, you shine like stars in the world because you hold on to the, wor to the word of life. Uh, among crooked and corrupt people, we ought to shine like stars. How? How do we do that? Because you hang on to the word of life. You hang on to the life-giving message of Jesus. And you bring that light into the middle of the night to show the world that there is another way, that there is another kingdom. A one that doesn't have to be ruled by violence and might and power and oppression, but another kingdom that's ruled by love and grace and truth and justice. That's the life-giving message that Jesus gave to us. That's, that's what he entrusted us with. And that's the manifesto of Jesus's kingdom that he talks about here. There's a back to Jesus's manifesto. Back to Matthew chapter five, Jesus uh, then asked his followers a sort of a stupid question. And I know that there are no stupid questions, um, but he, he asked this in, in sort of sort of a biting way. And so he says, you know, you're the light of the world, a city on top of a hill, not to be hidden. So, so who, who among you, who, who among you would, would light a lamp 
and then cover it up. Who would do such a ridiculous thing? Who, who would light a lamp and then put a basket over it? Like, come on, duh. None of, none of you would do that. So, so he says, if you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, if that's what you are, then in the same way, Jesus goes on, then neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Duh. Instead, instead, what they do is they put it up on top of a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. And so in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise, not you, but praise your father who is in heaven. Don't be a light hidden under a bucket. That's ridiculous. Who would do such a thing? You are meant to be a city on top of a hill, a lamp on top of a stand, a light on display for all to see, for all who are hurting, for all who are downtrodden, for all who are oppressed, that they could look to you and find shelter. Why would you hide that? Why, why would you put a bucket over your light? That doesn't make any sense. And yet, come on. How often do we do this? Right? How, how often are we afraid to let this little light of mine shine? We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to say, hey, that's, that's not okay. We're afraid to, to speak our peace. We're afraid to invite people into uh, the life way of Jesus. We're, we're afraid to invite people to church or, or just kind of on a, on a global scale, we cover up our light and we shroud the message of Jesus in things like politics and culture wars and all this other stuff, nationalism. So that when people look at that word Christian, their first thought is all the things that we stand against instead of all the things that we stand for. That's why we said that we want to be a church that is known as being for things. We, we want to be a church that's, that's known as being for everybody and not against anyone. A, a church that's known as being for our community and not just located in it. Church that is for uh, for each other and not just for ourselves. A church that is for curiosity and not just apathy. A church that's for change and not just the status quo. To me, I think that when we are for things, we are lifting the bucket or the buckets off of our light so that we can shine before a dark world and they can see the good things that we do and praise our Father in heaven. Which then brings me back to Jesus's metaphors of light and salt. I think it's interesting that Jesus uses two metaphors to describe one group of people. He describes his followers as being both salt and light. Why two? Why, why can't we just be one, Jesus? Let's simplify this thing. Why can't we just be salt or just light? Why do we need to be both? Well, in a sense, salt and light are conflicting metaphors. Or, or they're, 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 they're sort of like they intersect a little bit, but they're opposites in a lot of ways. Think about this for a second. Salt is really only good when it's all spread out. When was the last time you had a bowl of salt for breakfast? Or a 
salt burrito, right? Mmm, yeah, right? Salt is, is really only good when it is spread out. Light, on the other hand, like lights in a city, the way that Jesus calls us to be light is really only good when the lights are all gathered together in one place. That, that the more of it, the more concentrated it is, the more effective it is. Lights gathered together in one place. Only when all of our fires are burning brightly around the city walls can it be seen from hundreds of miles away. One candle's good, one candle's fine, but its light only goes so far. But once you get a bunch of them together, they burn brightly in the night. When we concentrate that, we burn so much brighter than when we do alone. So, Jesus, here, I got a question. (laughs) Another question, Jesus. Um, How should we do church then? (laughs) Like, Jesus, should should we be salt or light? Should should we should we be scattered out everywhere or Jesus? Should we should we be all gathered together in one place? Should we be thousands of pieces of salt, you know, scattered out throughout the world? Or, or should we be thousands of lights gathered together to burn brightly? Which, which is it, Jesus? And Jesus says, yes, both. <laughs> That's why I gave you two metaphors. You are salt and you are light. You are salt scattered. You are light gathered together. Here's the problem. And you may not agree with me but I will say I am usually right. So think about that. Here's what I would argue. Here's what I would argue that when you think about the church today, here's what I would argue. I I would argue that we are way better at gathering than we are at scattering. We, We are way better at being the light and the city on a hill than we are at being the salt of the earth scattered throughout we're, we're way better at gathering here on the weekend than we are with what we do with the other 167 hours throughout our weekday. Would you agree with that? And so when you think about the dual calling of the church, I think that we do, First Dunedin, we, we do a pretty good job at gathering as the light, being a city on top of a hill. I mean, Look at our little city within the downtown of the city. We got some buildings. We got indoor plumbing. We have air conditioning that sometimes works. We got seats for you to sit in. We've got technology. We've got music that rocks. I mean, we gather really, really well. But I think really the the purpose of our gathering is to just come together and celebrate what the Holy Spirit has been doing throughout our lives all week long as we have been scattered apart. That's the purpose of our gathering together. And so here's here's a little ecclesiology 101. Ecclesiology, um, it's a term that means the study of or the science of church. It's a word that I had to learn in seminary that cost me a lot of money to learn that word. But anyways, um, there's two basic models for how you do church. 
that there, there are salt churches and there are light churches. And I'm simplifying this. In reality, it's much more of a Venn diagram. But here's the two kind of basic models. There's the attractional model of church. And in this model, you get as many people outside of the church to come inside of the church. As many people who are, who are outside the walls of the church to come inside the walls of the church. And what that means is that your job is to smile, to act friendly, to volunteer in the children's nursery. And my job is to stand up here and talk really, really well. Because we want as many people possible that are outside to come inside and we will do whatever it is that is needed to get as many outside that are inside our church. And that's not a bad thing. There is a place for that. Obviously we want all of our lights to come together so that we can burn even brighter. That's good. There's the other model, the missional model of church. And this is get as many people who are inside of the church to go outside of the church and to actually be the church outside of the church's walls. And so what your job is then is to get shoulder to shoulder with people in real life who are walking through everyday life and you bring the good news of Jesus to them through your words and through your deeds spread out like salt scattered throughout the earth. And so I, I think, I think this is really convicting for me. Don't you love it when the pastor convicts himself in his own sermon? It happens a lot more frequently than you think, folks. Uh, but, but I realize that, that this is challenging for me. Because I'm living proof that you can succeed as a pastor and fail as a follower of Jesus. Jesus calls us to go out, to be salt, to be light to the world. Do you know what my world looks like? My world looks like you and it's not a bad view. You're all beautiful people. I, I love being around followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are the most humble and generous and salt of the earth kind of people. But my problem is that I'm around you like all the time, like 24 seven. And I put most of my attention on this hour of the weekend. I love being around followers of Jesus. My problem is that I'm usually only around followers of Jesus, except for Leslie. I'm still working on her and praying, praying for her, <laughs> but, but I'm missing out on half of the gospel, at least half of the gospel. And it's a problem as a follower of Jesus. When I look to Jesus, Jesus himself was a missionary to those who are not his followers. And so some of you, some of you, you, you're great at this, but some of you listen to me, you also need this same challenge. Because you're living proof of how you can succeed as a Christian, but fail as a follower of Jesus. You're, you're living proof of how you can succeed at being a good church member, but fail as a follower of Jesus. 
And, and I get this. Trust me, I, I get this. I do this for a living. Preaching to a crowd is easy. Sharing the gospel with a crowd is really easy. Sharing Jesus with my neighbors, that scares the pants off of me. That's what's really hard. And it's like what you all do every day, interacting with people who are not followers of Jesus is way, way harder. And so here's, here's maybe an, another way to think about this. Is the church meant to be a movie theater or a Home Depot? Whoa, that's deep. Where's he going with this? Man, where does he get this? Okay, let me explain here. <clears throat> think about this. A, a movie theater. The function of a movie theater, you come in, you sit down, you're quiet, and you focus your attention on what's in front of you. And then, after the movie's over, credits roll, goes to black, how, how many of you turn to the person next to you that you don't know, the stranger next to you, and say, hey, you want to go out to lunch and like, talk about what we just saw? And uh, do you want to like, do life together? How many people do that? No. <laughs> what you do in a movie theater is you go, you sit down, you watch, you listen, and then you get up and leave, and you try to be the first one out the door. The primary function of a movie theater is to entertain and yeah, there's other, there's documentaries and it's for learning and culture and all of that stuff. But, but most of us go to a movie theater to be entertained. I've been praying about this a lot the last couple of weeks. I'm so sick of entertaining. We, we are not called to be entertainers as a church. And so what if, what if we're called to be like a Home Depot? Anyone know what the slogan of Home Depot is? Anyone? Bueller. Bueller. The slogan of Home Depot. Let me give you a hint. How doers get more done. How doers get more done. So here's how a Home Depot functions, right? You need to redo your flooring. So, so you got this project in your mind that you're going to go in, you're going to tear up your old shag carpet, lay new premium laminate hardwood flooring. And so you go into Home Depot where doers get more done and you got this project in your mind and it is a resourcing center. You walk into this massive warehouse with all of these tools and equipment and everything you, knew you need to get any job done. And you go to the back where the flooring section is and Everything you need is right there in one spot, theoretically. And there is a flooring expert who is there to help you and answer any question that you need because they're an expert, theoretically. Sometimes they use that term expert loosely. But there you find a saws and glue and molding and a book on how to do this project. And the expert comes up to you and says, can I help you in any way? I teach a class every Saturday at 630 on how to redo your flooring. I'm here to help you. And so you put everything into your cart, you go out the door and you go and lay that premium laminate hardwood flooring to the glory of God. 
and then you make six other trips back to Home Depot because you forgot something or you ran into a problem that you didn't expect or whatever it is. But, but you go in there and you've got this project in your mind and you go to work and you're not alone and you've got resources. Friends, that's what the church should be like. That you come here and you've got this calling, you've got this mission from God. And I know you may not have a clue what that is right now, but I believe that if you pray about it, God will show it to you. That we are to be here as a resourcing center. We are here to help you, to train you, to equip you, and then to send you out so that you can get more done. And my job, my job shouldn't be the professional the expert who does the ministry of the church. That's not my job. Instead, my job should be the one who equips you to be the doers of ministry out into the world. And so please, please hear me here. I love the movie theater. I do. I love the movie theater. And I love Home Depot. Two of my favorite places on the weekend, unless the movie's garbage or, you know, I have to like fix something that I was not expecting to fix and I have no clue how to fix it, which happens a lot. But I I love both places. I I love both types of church. I I love the movie theater church where I, I sit and I sing and I praise and I pray and I learn. I love all of that. The problem is that our churches look too much like that and not enough like a Home Depot. And I think to just maybe expand and beat this metaphor to death, um, I think that the reason why our churches look like the way that we do is because we have the mentality of renters instead of owners. We, we, have, we have a renter's mentality instead of an owner's mentality. You know when you rent a house or an apartment and and you need something done? What's your first thought or your first action? You call the landlord. (laughs) Pick up the phone, call the landlord, they'll fix it. Friends, there is no landlord. And I am not the super here. Okay? And if you are a member of this church, then you have co-signed your name on this thing that we call church. You are owners of all of this. There is ownership that you are responsible for. And so enough with all the metaphors. Let me just leave you with this. And, you know, if all my words just fail, I hope that uh, this one sticks with you and it's just sort of a gut punch for you because it's not mine. Uh, This comes from the brother of Jesus, uh, James. This is what James wrote in James chapter one. He said, you must be what? You must be what? You must be You still don't sound like you actually want to be that. You must be what? Doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. Those who hear but don't do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. They look at themselves and they 
walk out the doors, get in their car, drive away. They walk away and immediately forget what they were like. But there are those who study the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue to do it. Continue as in daily, as in every single day, they continue to do it. They don't listen and then forget, but they put it into practice. They put it into practice. They put it into practice in their lives. They will be blessed, happy, God with them in whatever they do. So like if, if, we, can, if we can get our arms around this, and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, if, if we can get our arms around this and who Jesus called us to be as, as salt and as light, then this will change the trajectory of our lives. This will change the trajectory of our church. This will change the trajectory of our entire community. But we can't just rent this idea. We've got to actually own it. We've got to claim who Jesus called us to be as salt and as light. Let's pray. God, sometimes I'm, I'm in wall, I'm in awe and just confused as to why it is that you called people like me people like us to be your church, to be your bride. Why it is that you entrusted us with this message that is so precious. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, as you say, God, that you've, you've entrusted that to us. And that's a huge responsibility But Lord, we trust that you know what you're doing. We trust that you have called us here for a purpose. That you have placed us like a city on a hill for a purpose. And God, that you will scatter us out for your purpose. So Lord, as much as we fumble and fail and trip over ourselves. God, won't you help us to be your church? Won't you give us your, your Holy Spirit and, and show us the way? God, won't you shake us up? Scatter us out. Empower us with the message that you have given to us. God, so that we, we won't just hear it. Forget it, because that doesn't do any good. Lord, maybe, maybe this week you would, you would just let this sit like a rock in our stomachs. You, you would just allow this to bother the heck out of us. So we think, what does it mean to be salt? What, what does it mean to be light? How, how God, 
can I do that? Lord, through, through that bothering, Lord, it might disrupt some things. It might cause some changes in how we treat others. It might cause some changes in the way that we talk in our conversations. God, it might cause some changes in what we do. Lord, not just in our own lives, but in this church as well. So Holy Spirit, disrupt us. Call us to something higher. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.